Jared and the GM on ESPN 1025 The Game. We are live today. Boombox Craft Pizza and Tap House again tonight at 7. Smashville Live, Ryan Johansson. Colton Sissons will be the Preds players' guest, so come on out. And uh, meet Colton Sissons and Ryan Johansson for Smashville Live at Boomba's Craft Pizza and Tap House in East Nashville. So come on out and hang. So, Floyd, I like Mike Vrabel. Before you say that I don't like Mike Vrabel, I just want to state for the record that I like Mike Vrabel. I think he gets the guys to all believe on the same page no matter what odds are against them or how many guys are hurt or things like that. I also think if you get to know Vrabel personally, he's a really nice guy. He's funny, and he's kind of a smartass. But he's a good dude. And so for that, I like Mike Vrabel. Now, he's not Derek Mason-level good, where the guy, you know, is like an angel. But he is a good dude. And I just want to say that before I get going on this. And then, of course, the big topic is always decision-making with Mike Vrabel. We have the Ryan Tannehill approval poll out there. But I would love to know what the approval poll on Mike Vrabel's decision-making is when it comes to the end of the game. Because I think a lot of fans are like me, and they simply do not trust this coach. Which I don't. And it's not a knock on Vrabel. It's just I don't trust him (laughs) at the end of a game. So Gentry Estes, who's the new columnist in Tennessee. Do you know how ridiculous this all sounds? So Gentry Estes, who's the new columnist at the Tennessean. Well, it's like liking someone as a person, but thinking, you know, maybe I don't trust their decision-making parents. No, no, no. Go ahead. But they're just not great parents. But you know what? He's a, Johnny's a great guy. He's not a good dad. Um, anywho, what? What? Nothing. So Gentry Estes of the Tennessean, the new columnist, he asked Vrabel about the idea of hiring an analytic firm the other day. We'll get to that in a second. But he wrote an article, and he wrote, and this is the article in the Tennessean, and it came out Monday, but I'm just getting to this now. Mike Vrabel is catching heat for the Titans' fourth down failures. Should he? And Estes goes on to talk about all the mistakes or all the questionable situations in which Vrabel went for it or so on and so forth. And then he writes this. Were his decisions bad ones at the time? Did some of them give the Titans a better chance to win? And the answer, according to Edge Sports, a Kentucky-based data and analytics firm that is hired on a, consulted base, on a consulting basis by NFL teams to assist in coaches uh, in making in-game decisions model like Vrabel's decisions. Edge Sports' computer model includes all, includes all factors to determine a coach's best decision at any time. Run, pass, punt, going forward on fourth down or not, based on a percentage for how it impacts the team's chances to win that game. Whether Vrabel knew it or not, Edge Sports numbers have largely been on his side. By the way, I'm going to guess Vrabel probably did not know that Edge Sports thinks that his decision-making on these fourth downs was good. But he says, quote, Of the five fourth-down decisions listed above, four of them, including the fake field goal, did not help the ti- didn't just help the Titans win chance. In Edge Sports' estimation, those four decisions were among the five best in-game decisions the 2019 Titans have made, period. Going for Tannehill's failed sneak against the Chargers increased the Titans' chance of winning the game by 13.9% instead of punting. So had the Titans punted, it would have been 752 but by going for it, it was 891 
making it Vrabel's by far highest rated in-game decision of the season. Remember the fourth and six at Jacksonville, Floyd? Yep. According to Edge Sports, in Jacksonville, the decision to go for it, again reading from Gentry Estes' article on the Tennessean, the decision to go for it increased the Titans' chances of winning by 1.1% from 14.1 to 15.2. In Atlanta, the crazy decision, it went from 97.6 to 98.2. So they even said the Atlanta decision was a good decision to go for it. The one that even Vrabel said he wouldn't do over again. Now that takes us to Sunday. And Gentry writes, Sunday's fake was far more complicated. While the decision to go for it on fourth and two against Tampa Bay did increase the Titans' chance to win by 1.3%, that doesn't mean that the model is the best way. Apparently, uh, the model says that like they don't account for fakes and that fakes, they generally speaking, don't like. They prefer you actually trying to go get it with your offense than faking, so there's no way to like formulate it you know, into what it would account for with the fake. But so anywho, so they're saying that Vrabel's going for it the model that the, the Edge Sports, who is, I guess, contracted by NFL teams, Edge Sports, their analytics and data says Vrabel's decision-making at the end of games is not only good, apparently it sounds like they think it's great. Floyd Reese, what do we think of the analytic models saying Mike Vrabel is right and everybody else is wrong? This is, this is the deal, what's happening with all this analytic stuff. If it supports, if you if you don't think they use any of that at all, and they're just going for it on sheer guts, then of course you're complaining. He needs to use analytics. He needs to have somebody there that's an expert in analytics. Some analytic guru's got to help him make the decisions. If you think he has some of the analytics that are helping him make the decisions, then you're saying, well, the analytics can't be right. You know what? He's got to go more of a gut. He's got to go. So it just depends on which side of the table you want to argue on. And I don't. I mean, I told you from the beginning. I don't. None of those. None of those things really bothered me. Um, now, did the did the the uh, kicker carrying the ball bother me? Yeah, that did. Yeah, I don't think the analytics but, equate for. No, they don't. If have you run any. the ball with Brett Kern, what yeah, does that they mean? They don't have any of that. But but. I mean, it, it's easy. It's just, just like I told you. You're going to like it or not, whether it works or not. If it works, you know what? River, the guy we're playing this year, Riverboat Ron, you know how he got his nickname? By doing crazy stuff? By doing just what Vrabel is doing. Exactly the same thing. Exactly. And he all of a sudden is Riverboat Ron. Talk of the town. This guy's going for it. We're not half-stepping anything. You know, so it, it just depends on where you're sitting and, you know, what you're thinking. Well, like I saw in the LSU game on Saturday, it's like fourth and goal from the three on the first drive of the game, and Ed O's like, run the offense out there. And I'm thinking to myself, take the three points, please. I think the analytic gurus lean towards going forward on fourth down no matter what. And I don't know why they do that. Um, I think it was like somebody's model said that if you were to not punt – at all in any game outside of your own 40. So, like, anytime you get to your own 40 and you were to punt it or you were to punt it, it's a bad move. Well, that's where all, that's where all these coaches going for it on fourth downs got their stuff. Everybody wants them to use analytics. Analytics is a wave of the future. We've got to be able to do, you know, we've got to have analytics. We've got to, well, analytics does like you going for it on fourth mm-hmm. down. They do like you, you pushing the envelope. 
Now, does that help, you know, how many games does it help you win in the end? I, I don't know. But I feel like people try to use the analytics because, or I shouldn't say use the analytics, but I think some people look at the analytics as the end-all, be-all that say, the analytics say, so you're wrong and you're wrong because this is what the numbers say. The numbers say. And you I, can't go I, on your gut anymore. you got to go by the numbers. And I just don't. For me, I look at these analytic nerds and I think, you know what? Shut up. You know, analytic nerds have ruined sports. Baseball is incredibly boring now for a lot of reasons, but one of them is the analytics are shifting every play and everybody's trying to hit a home run now with every swing because it's better to swing for the fences and strike out than it is to hit a single to left field. And that has ruined baseball. Maybe it helps you win. I don't know. Uh, the, in, in football, I think analytics are ruining it because people don't, people don't feel the game like they used to. Like to me, if you have an offensive team and you want to go for it a lot on fourth down, like Andy Reid going for it on fourth down with Patrick Mahomes is different in my estimation than Mike Vrabel going for it on fourth down with Marcus Mariota or Ryan Tannehill only because Mike Vrabel has a great defense. So if Mike Vrabel is going to try to win games 17-14, don't you think three points in most instances is pretty important in a game like that? But if you're Andy and every game you play is going to be 38-35, then the three individual points are not as important throughout most of the game because it's a shootout of touchdowns. Well, again, I mean, it depends on where you're sitting. I mean, you can argue both sides of this. But the bottom line is, I mean, the general public, the fan, wants their coach to have some analytics now Mm -hmm. because they feel like they're just – they're not – keeping up with modern football, not keeping up with the game, not keeping up with the other teams, if you don't have involve some analytics. And so, you know, they want it that way. Now, does that change? Does that make them going forward on fourth down and not getting it, you know, a, an awful call? Well, you know, check your analytics. You'll find out that, the, no, it's probably not a bad call. If you were GMing, would you live and die by analytics? Well, I don't live and die by anything. But by anything, but you do. I think you have to. You have to be aware. You've got to understand what they're trying to tell you. Oh, I think you, you live don't and have die to. By a couple things. You don't have to buy it all. You don't have to buy all in across the board. But I mean, I think you. There are instances where it can help you. I just think that sometimes the analytic gurus I feel like I call this the pro football focus world. Where people are like, well, pro football focus said this, so they have to be right. Well, And I'm like, wait a minute now. How about this? We've been so critical of Mike all this time. And now you here's some support for him from the future thinkers in the NFL. EdgeSports.com. How, how about just maybe saying, you know, Rabel might have been right on a couple of those. Hello? I'm waiting. <laughs> Let's take your phone yeah, calls. Yeah, that's what I thought. 615-737-1025. <laughs> that you up. That 615-737-1025. Shut you up as fast as anything I've ever done. Floyd has hit the nail on the head about something Mike Vrabel loves to do. The question is, is it the right thing to do? The thing that Floyd has hit the nail on the head about Vrabel that Vrabel loves to do. Is it the right thing to do? We will discuss that next. Plus, take your calls. Your thoughts. The analytic gurus love Vrabel. 
and his decision-making. How do we feel about that? 615-737-1025 live from Boomba's Craft Pizza and Tap House in East Nashville today. It's Jared and the GM. Hey, ESPN 94.9 Game 2 is the official English radio home of the Nashville Soccer Club. Listen in Saturday night as Nashville SC takes on Indy 11 at First Tennessee Park in the Eastern Conference semifinals of the USL Playoff. Pre-game 630, kickoff at 7 on ESPN 94.9 Game 2, powered by your Middle Tennessee Toyota dealers. Tickets available to purchase at NashvilleSC.com. Jared and the GM, it's ESPN 1025 The Game. What are your, your thoughts on, on you know, outside help with analytics? Is that something the Titans do? Would they ever do it? Oh, I'm sure it would be something that we would always consider. We're always trying to consider things, you know, whether that's at a consultant level or finding somebody to, to, to put on a staff. I mean, I think that any time you can use numbers to your advantage, uh, you have to try to do it. You also have to try to make some decisions, you know, when the numbers are close. Um, but the, I don't think that crunching numbers is going to go anywhere. You know, it's something that, you know, allows a lot of people to to be involved uh, in a game that's very unpredictable, and they try to make it predictable. That was Vrabel, and I thought it was well said there when asked about the analytics, saying people are trying to take an unpredictable game. And in the one analogy he's used all the time that I like, he says the ball's not round. So you don't know where the ball's going to bounce. They try to take... A, a prediction model or they try to take numbers to make it all line up. And the reality is it's an incredibly unpredictable game. It's like, you know, before this throw, their chances of winning were, were 2%. And then after the throw, it was 80%. Well, I guess the analytic model didn't equate for the fact that Aaron Rodgers can chuck the ball 75 yards and hit a receiver in stride. But guess what? He can. And that's kind of a tough part there. So you've hit on something that I think everybody kind of knows. But that Mike Vrabel, if the, if the game is a, if the Titans can win a game with an offensive play, with one offensive way that will a hundred percent put the game away, Vrabel will do it, no matter what. And you've said that's going to be how he is, and he's not going to change. Are we okay with that approach? Remember in London when he went for two, and I threw a conniption fit. And I still stand by that being one of the dumber things he's ever done. But Vrabel said, I wanted to win the game. And the players loved it. The players, oh, yeah, he believes in us to go win the game. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I mean, I believe in you to win the game, too. I believe in putting the defense back out there. I believe in going to overtime. I I believe in you winning the game in overtime because I believe in you there. But that that's kind of the mantra. And I remember the fans, for the majority, after the London game, were saying, hey, he's going to win, and I like a coach who's trying to win, and I like a... And then he does it in Atlanta, where he, again, I I understood what he was doing in Atlanta. He thought a field goal to go up three scores probably ends the game, but he felt like a touchdown puts them up, you know, for sure to win the game. So I I would say that, and this is just me, um... I would say that he is going to coach like that, but is that the right way to coach? To well, coach where you're always going to win. But he's not playing. I mean, he's making the – it's just like you were saying. The analytics, they'll back you up. I mean, it's not a gut feeling. It's not a – it's a, a feeling that, you know, you have. You say, okay, this is what I think I want to do, and he knows the numbers back him up. Then you say to yourself, hey, I'm willing to go for it. I'm willing to risk this. And I think that's where he is with these things, a lot of these things. 
like that two point in San Diego you hate? I'll guarantee you analytics. Oh, I bet that. they loved it. They, that's the way to go. It's exactly the way to go. And I again, we you you're mad at that because it didn't work. That's not true. Yes, it is. I turned to my dad before the and, drive and I said, and if he goes for two, I'm going to lose my same. mind. If you go, if you go for it and get it, you won't say anything. But if or if it's backed by analytics, if the analytics say okay, it did. Otherwise, if if you're not that way, then you're just griping because it didn't work. Which I mean, everybody has a right to do that, but it doesn't. Just because you're griping doesn't make you right. And that, I think that's the. That's the key that we have to remember. And, and that, again, if his gut, in my mind, if he says, I think this is the right thing to do, and then, I mean, believe it or not, he's got guy, a guy up there that, that knows what the analytics will say on this thing. And the guy says, yep, that's, that's the call. Okay, fine, we're going for it. And he knows what the ramifications are, but that's, that's what he decides to do. So I am okay with that. I think it's an incredibly lazy take by football people to just automatically say that people don't like a call because it works or doesn't work. I hated the idea of going for two and when the drive you. started. That's not true. That is you. That is not Ian. It's exactly right. Ian, is that not a fair statement to say about me, that I do not hold my opinion that my opinion is beholden completely to the result? Well, I'm not asking you. I'm asking Ian. Uh, this is a different question. What, what about the apology for all those times that he was backed by analytics and was right? I don't care. I don't like analytics. <laughs> we don't care what you like. It's not a matter of what you like. It's a matter of what's right. And I don't think analytics are right. Oh, you don't think analytics are right? I wonder if analytics say going for it on fourth and 18 people, is a good call. All of you statisticians in the world, all of you number gurus, we need to hear from you. You know who also he said that they don't? He does not like analytics you know who else said that i have no idea bill belichick and oh. he's the greatest coach who ever lived let me say this bill tells you what he wants you to know and you gobble it right up i'm just telling you i don't get what you're telling me bill says I don't, I don't that he what, doesn't care about analytics I, I don't care what bill says and i'm just i mean i'm just saying that i'm like the uh, to me I think football is way more complicated than what some computer geek is telling you. Well, according to this model, it's forty-seven point five percent say that if you do, you, you know what you don't you don't realize this, but everything you talk about comes from analytics of some sort. You talk about pro football focus. I don't talk about that. Well, okay, pro football focus says so and so is ranked and graded him at this and graded him at that. Well, how did they grade him? They can't grade them because they're they're football gurus. They use numbers. That's how they do it. Right, and that's why we don't talk about that on this show. <laughs> okay. Let's go to your phones. Tommy <laughs> is up next on Mike Vrabel. Thank you for calling. What's up, Tommy? Hey, I think for so long we just look like we're going to lose a game during the game, and we're all kind of skittish. But our coach, he, he's adding points. And he wants to go the rest of the way down that field and get more points. And he's going to turn his team into a team that does that. And, and but, I think but he hasn't done that yet. In. Say again? In two years, he has not done that. He has not, you know, let's go for it, go for it, go for it. And more times than not, it hasn't worked out. So you're saying that eventually it will work out. Yeah, he, 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 he's getting his team to go his way, starting to go his way. 
and, and, and you and you thought that that happened because they faked it with. Do it. So you think that that then it went their way because they faked it with Brett Kern the well, other day? See, the thing you Thank can't you do, the thing you can't do, is you can't separate the decision and the play. That I can't do. Yeah, I do it all the time. You can't. No, you don't. I don't know why you think you do these things. You don't do them ever. The call on the two point in San Diego was the right call. The play was bad. This week it was the right call. You said the, the play, play wasn't was bad. bad. So you are you, but you get mad over it. And you criticize him for going for it, and going for it is not the problem. Now is the play the problem? Absolutely. You've got to separate those, and you can't do that. You, because you, you're results-oriented. You see it not working, and all of a sudden you're well, mad. Well, I, I think I did separate. Like the Philadelphia going for two last year on the fourth and two, I didn't like the decision to do that, and it worked out, and they won the game because of it. And a lot of people loved it because it did work out. I did not like the decision to go for two against the Eagles, but at least I understood it. And the one thing that I'll say about like the decision to go for two at the end of a game, you better have a play you love. Like that fourth and two, that little screen pass they threw to Dion against Philadelphia. Vrabel talked about Matt LaFleur loved that play all week, and Matt wanted to run it, and Matt told him, hey, if we go for it, we're going to run the throw to Dion. Let's do it. And they did it. And I'm not saying that the Titans don't have a bunch of plays that they love, but like that fourth and one play against Atlanta where you know they, they had a run-pass option and Mariota gave it off to Henry, and Henry just got clobbered three yards behind the line of scrimmage. Like that? Can you tell me that you love that play as the, hey, if we get into this, we're going to run. We love this play. And did I, did I Marcus do the right thing with the ball? I don't remember. Was he supposed to pull it out and throw it? I don't know. Do you know? I'm, I'm going to guess if the running back gets hit two yards behind the line of scrimmage, that yes, you were supposed to pull it out and throw it. Nobody plans a play where we're going to give it to you to lose two yards. So if you give it to them, somebody's right there and you give them the ball, I mean, it's probably not going to work. I don't know. The Chargers tried that three times last week from the goal line. And this is the other thing I don't understand, right? Here are the Chargers at the goal line, like at the the inch line. And why are they running the ball out of the shotgun? Like, why are you taking the ball from one inch from where it has to be to win the game and snapping it four yards backwards? Why? I don't know. But we do it all the time. We turn around and give it to Derek. But not out of the shotgun like that. Well, yeah, but, I mean, he's still getting the ball four yards deep, whether, whether you're running and carrying it to him or you just turn around and hand it to him. I know, but at least he can get some momentum if you turn around and hand it to him. He's running forward, nah, nah, whereas, nah, 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 you nah, know, nah, from the shotgun, nah, nah. it's like, just here, just just take it, <laughs> Melvin Gordon. But that coach got fired, Wizenhunt. He's gone uh, again. Nobody gets more pink slips than can Wizenhunt, and uh, maybe that has something to do with it. 615-737-1025. This is the phone number, 615-737-1025. Coming up next here on Jared and the GM, Ryan Tannehill. I think he might have a favorite target. Why? Because he was effusive in his praise for one Titans receiver. Is he becoming a go-to guy? We'll discuss next. Jared and the GM, live from Boombox, Craft Pizza and Tap House, Smashville Live tonight. That's right. Um, silly Underdog Picks, make your picks. 
Now for the three college football underdog teams you think will win this Saturday. Weekly winners will win a pair of tickets to the Franklin American Mortgage Music City Bowl uh, at Nissan Stadium on Monday, December 30th. Hit up thegamenational.com or the ESPN, the Game National mobile app, and play now. Silly Underdog Pick sponsored by Volunteer Hose and Gasket. Jerry the GM, it's ESPN 1025, the game. Brian, I know the, the hope is to get Delaney back this week, but how much has Johnny Smith stepped up for you guys for the offense the last couple of weeks? Johnny's been huge. You know, I think... I think I've talked about it a few times. He's grown, you know, since I've been here. I've, I've been excited about his talents since I've been here, but I've seen him take big steps uh, since he came back from the injury, you know, late in camp. And, uh, and I think his confidence just continues to grow uh, coming off that injury. You know, he's, he's getting more and more comfortable, I think, and uh, in the scheme and, and what we're doing. And he's making plays. You know, he had a heck of a catch on that touchdown. It was a terrible throw. You know, back hip, back hip him and. Caught it with his hands and spun and got in the end zone, you know, and he's, he's making plays down the field. You, you see him in the open field. You know, the first guy really never brings him down. He's breaking tackles. I think on that screen, he probably broke three or four tackles. Just a, a dangerous weapon for us. That right there was Ryan Tannehill talking about John U. Smith. And now most of Ryan Tannehill's answers are pretty short, honestly. Like, Ryan, what would you think? Well, you know, we just worked really hard this week, and we're excited about having a good week of practice and getting out there. And then he's asked about Jonu Smith, and he goes on and on and on and effusive in his praise for Jonu Smith, talking about how impressed he is with Jonu and the plays Jonu makes and how he threw a bad ball and Jonu made a good play on it and the touchdown Jonu had and this that Jonu did. And I'm starting to wonder if Jonu Smith is becoming a go-to guy for Ryan Tannehill. If that is the guy of this offense, and he's shown that he likes to throw the ball um, you know, that, that he likes to throw the ball all around to everybody and whatnot, but that if maybe Janu is his go-to guy, which leads me to this question. If Ryan Tannehill can trust Janu Smith this much, do we trust Janu Smith this much? Well, I think Ryan, you know, a lot of it's based off of this last game. And this last game, they were taking the outside guys away. And all the inside guys were productive last week. Because of that, including Janu. So, I mean, I'm not sure you can get all carried away with that, even though when he went out and had to make some plays, I agree with Ryan. I mean, he made the plays. He made some pretty good plays. So, I mean, that part is a giant plus. I don't think there's any doubt but that he's a gifted guy. You know, he's – I don't think I've ever – it's never been an, an ability thing to me. It's never, yeah, it's never been, is he a good enough athlete, is he, can he catch, it's never been that, it's always been the mental things, mm-hmm. you know, don't, he, he's going to make a mistake, he's going to get a penalty, he's going to drop an easy ball, he's going to do those kinds of things that he should never ever do, and I think if he gets to a point that he eliminates those, then I think he becomes a, a legitimate weapon. Under Ryan Tannehill, for example, before Ryan Tannehill took all over as quarterback, Janu had six catches on the year. Janu had six catches last week. I mean, the truth is Tannehill clearly likes throwing to Janu Smith more than Mariota ever liked throwing to Janu Smith. Well, again, last week, uh, you know, you have to take into consideration what was happening. I mean, he's, he, Ryan did what he should have with the ball. Who, if Delaney would have been in there, Delaney would have caught six or eight or however many. Which is why Anthony Ferkser was the second leader. Which is season. why Ferkser and which is why Humphreys, were, they had their best games. Why? Because they were forcing the quarterback to throw the ball inside. And that's what he did. It was just nice that we had somebody 
talented enough, or really a couple of somebody's talented enough, they could go out and make some plays for you. Well, the thing that happens to Johnny Smith is once he catches the ball in space, he morphs into a running back. I mean, he's got the speed and the size to be able to run it like a running back. I mean, he had one catch for 57 against the Bills where he took a little screen pass and ran with it. I believe that I still don't trust Jonu Smith yet, that I still am worried that with Jonu, you know, it's going to be like I don't trust Corey Davis at all because Corey Davis has a good game and then he follows it up with three games where you don't know if Corey Davis is still on the team anymore. And so until Corey can be consistent – I can't consider him a number one wide receiver. Antonio Brown, for example, a number one wide receiver. Antonio Brown, even if he was triple teamed, would find a way to catch the ball. Corey Davis can't do that. You know, once you you make a you decide you're going to take Corey Davis out of the game, Corey Davis goes away, and that's a problem for me. With Jonu, I'm with you. Like I, we've always seen the talent with Jonu Smith. But it's always been John who would make a good catch, and then John who would jump offsides, or John who would make a big play, and then John who would get called for holding, or John who would line up in the wrong spot, or it was always something. And he's done that less with Ryan Tannehill, but I still don't trust John U. Smith yet. If we had an offense that used an H back, you know, you had two tight ends and you played them a lot, and you'd like the, the old Frank Whitejack position, mm-hmm. I mean, John would be perfect for that. I mean, he would be. He would have a chance to be a great player in in that scheme. Um, But, you know, they don't do it that much anymore, and and I don't blame them. You know, I'm not not thinking that's something we should do. I'm just saying if it was. So he's playing tight end, and you know what? It used to be you would look at a tight end, you would say, yeah, tight end can't block a defensive end. He can't be a tight end. Well, those days are gone. You know, Mm -hmm. you just don't see – many of those 6'5", 270-pound tight ends anymore that, you know, have to block a defensive end and then have to get downfield and catch the ball. Now you're seeing tight ends that look like Janu. You know, they're 6'3", 6'4", 245 pounds, run really well, catch the ball well. Do Those are the guys that are becoming in vogue. You did bring up the blocking aspect. Janu is not a good blocker. Hasn't been, but but none of these uh, young tight ends really are. I mean, they you have know, Pruitt, who's the blocking tight end. Yeah. And what I hate about this is it's like it signals to the off to the defense what you're going to do based upon the personnel you run into the game. Whereas, like back in the day, Frank Wycheck and Aaron Kinney could be out there, and it could be a pass or it could be a run, and you don't know. But if Pruitt goes in and Ferkser comes out, you're telling the defense you're probably going to run the foot. Yeah. Which is part of the problem. I mean, if, you, if you've if you got Pruitt in the game and you've got Derrick Henry in the game and it's first and ten, chances are it's going to be a run now. <laughs> and you don't have to be a defensive guru to figure that out. Do you think that when Delaney comes back, and Vrabel is hopeful Delaney will play this week, do you think Delaney will get his spot back as the starting tight end? Or do you think Janu will still be the number one tight end in terms of snaps? No, and... and and uh, Delaney is healthy? I mean, as healthy as I guess he's going to get. Well, I mean, there's a difference between that and being healthy. If he's healthy, if he comes back as as the old, you know, walker, then he's the guy. But has he been that all year? I, I, we said before, I mean, there was one game for me, one game that I saw. Now, he may have been that way a lot, but I, the one game, and I, it was like about Atlanta, 
and he caught something on the sidelines and took off and ran with it a little bit. And I, I right then I kind of went, aha, there he is. And then the next week it disappeared. So I, I don't know what happened. So, again, I think it would be a little crazy to think that Delaney's going to miss one week and come back and be 100% and be the old Delaney. If he's the Delaney that he was this year, which is not 100%, you run Johnny out there over Delaney? Yeah. If he's, if he's not, you know, he's not going to be able to go out there and run better and catch the ball. I mean, you can't. Well, there's an in-between there. I mean, if he's going to play, then he'll be able to run patterns. He just won't be able to run them like Delaney. Well, then then it won't be good enough because that's one thing Jonu can do is he can run those patterns like Jonu. You know, I didn't realize it. He had, that AC, he had an ACL. I did realize it. But On the Derrick Henry touchdown year, run against Jacksonville? And he never – this year came back and you never – I mean, I don't remember seeing limps. I don't remember seeing, I mean, he just went right back to where he was, which is great. Congratulations to him. Yeah, I'm not sure how much I care about that. I mean, I should be like a, hey, whatever. But if John who didn't come back good, then John who wouldn't be here anymore because he simply wasn't producing until Ryan Tannehill took over his quarterback. Now he looks like he's kind of Tannehill's guy, which, you know, give me a couple more games and, and then we'll see. And, I don't think he had a lot of negative plays on Sunday, which is a good step in the right direction for him. One penalty. I know. What was it, a false start? 615-737-1025. 615-737-1025. Did you see what Baker Mayfield did today? What do we think about the latest from Cle- – I mean, everybody told me Cleveland was headed to the Super Bowl. Now they can't win a game. And Baker's losing his mind. We'll get to that next. Jared and the GM live from Boomboss Craft Pizza and Tap House. It's ESPN 1025, the game streaming on the Game Nashville app. A lot of drama going around the NFL. And Floyd, have you noticed the team? The teams uh, that are getting dealt with in terms of the drama right now, the real drama teams being dealt with. Oh, the ones, the teams that are just featured all over television right now with drama problems. Oh yeah, the same old teams: the Browns, the Redskins, the Jets. And if you're you're losing, these things always pop up. This is why your your locker room has to be so strong. If you can't withstand these things, then all this pops up. Well, the Chargers are losing, but we don't see the Chargers always in drama disarray. The Bears are losing, and we don't see, you know, the Bears in just total. Now, the coach, is, you know, he's going off the deep end, uh, which is, is probably a problem. But, again, the drama follows, like, the same six teams in the league. Every year, it's always the Jaguars, the Rams, the Raiders, the, uh, that should, I didn't say the Rams. The Jaguars, the Raiders, the Browns, the Redskins, the Jets. It's never New Orleans who has all the drama. It's never even the Giants who aren't good. It's never them who have all that drama, etc. So, anywho, Baker Mayfield today, I guess, was being questioned. And, of course, the, the Browns are, I think, 2-6, and six, which is obviously not good. And Baker was being bombarded with questions, as he is in his press conference. And Baker was being asked, I guess, about a specific play at the end of the first half against the Patriots. I don't know. And Baker lost his cool. After the block field goal at the end of the first half, the two-minute drive, it's 
seemed like there was a lack of urgency there or something going on. There was a penalty, so we were negative yardage. No, but there was a lot of time between snaps. Uh, well, when the penalty happened, then we're the behind the chains. No, 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 stop saying but. I just told you the clock was running and we had a penalty. You want to give them the ball back? No, you don't play. You don't know it. That's just plain and simple. Was I happy with the drive? No, we didn't score points. It's the dumbest question you could ask. What? Floyd, I'm sure you've been asked a lot of questions, and I'm sure you've thought in your head, that's the dumbest question you can be asked. And I bet in your entire career as a coach, as a general manager, as a TV guy, as a radio guy, as a Patriots exec, you never looked at somebody in the face and said, except for me, you never looked at somebody in the face and said, that's the dumbest question that you can ask. And here's Baker Mayfield, starting quarterback, who everybody told me was going to have the Browns in the Super Bowl this year. Here's Baker just going up in flames at the reporter. But it wasn't done after that. Baker walked off. And then Baker went to Twitter. Now, remember, I don't know who the Browns play this week, but Baker should probably be getting ready for that game. Instead, Baker's on Twitter. And Baker tweets out, everybody wants to hear the truth until they actually get it. I am who I am and always have been. Don't call it emotional when it's convenient and then passion when it fits. I care about winning, so, yeah, I'm frustrated. If I was to act like it was okay to lose, then y'all would say that I've gotten complacent. My sense of urgency is at an all-time high, and I and if I offend anybody along the way, that's too bad. Floyd Reese, I think there were two guys in Nashville, Tennessee, who said all offseason, this Browns thing's not going to work. The coach is a night, the the coach has never coached before, has no idea what he's doing. Odell's a drama magnet and underperforms for the drama that he brings. Their offensive line was a mess, and the quarterback is a 19-year-old trying to act like a big boy quarterback. What do we make of the latest in Cleveland and Baker Mayfield's latest blow-up? Oh, I don't, you know, I mean, it's probably to be expected. I mean, he's been an emotional guy, been off the cuff his whole career. Remember when he planted the flag against somebody Ohio after State. the game? Yeah, it was Ohio State. And uh, and he's found a way to to do a bunch of that stuff, and and the hard part is when you're not win- if you're winning, you're at Oklahoma. You just won the Heisman. You're you know in the playoff hunt. Yeah, all's good. You know you're winning ten, eleven, twelve games, but now you're not doing any of that. And I think now it really starts to weigh on somebody like that. Well, and there were no expectations last year when he was a rookie. And he'd go out there and throw for a billion yards against the Bengals. And everybody would say, oh, my God, look at Baker Mayfield. He threw for all these yards this week against the Bengals. And then he comes into this year with these huge expectations. And they're playing the Patriots. And they're playing good teams and grown-up teams. And it's all falling apart, which we said it was going to. These guys are front runners. Baker is every month. See, I've never liked Baker because I always thought Baker was immature. See, I don't like Kyler Murray because I don't think Kyler Murray's any good. I don't like Baker because I think Baker is totally immature and I think Baker, like I think Baker thinks the way he acts and the way he treats people that that shows that I'm a competitor. But I'll ask you this, is Dak Prescott not a competitor because Dak Prescott doesn't blow up at people when they question him after he loses? Is Philip Rivers not a competitor? I mean, we see Philip Rivers lose his mind and go bonkers on the sidelines. Philip Rivers has been in the league for 100 years. He doesn't have many left. His team sucks. Have you seen Philip Rivers lose his mind uh, at reporters? No, because that's not what quarterbacks do. 
we were talking about Andy Dalton today. Andy Dalton came out today and said, if they're going to make this change, and I'm paraphrasing what he said, but if they're going to make this change to bench me, they should have done it earlier to see if there'd be any interest in me playing somewhere else. And I told you, I think Andy Dalton has earned the right to be able to say something like that. And you know Andy thought about it before he said it. And you knew that Andy, like, Andy Dalton, say what you want to say. I'm okay with that. You've earned that right in this league. Baker? And, and Baker, when you're winning, people are, get turned on by that. The, I woke up feeling dangerous. People get turned on by that when you win. But when you lose, everybody is just waiting there to point the finger at you. And that's what's happening to Baker Mayfield right now. Well, yeah. I mean, and he's not, he's not handling it very well. You know, I mean, he's all of these things. It depends on which side of the table you sit. And this is what's frustrating for him. He's saying to himself, OK, if I get mad, they're going to think I'm a competitor. If I get uh, if I get if I lose my composure, then they're going to think I'm frustrated or I'm whatever it is. So the whole time he's playing mind games with himself. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you approach this? How do you, and and he's not feeling very good. I mean, they are not playing well, and he's a key part of it. And so, you know, he's he's spending time reading the papers and looking at TV, and they're telling him how awful he is, and uh, and he's letting it get to him. And this is all part of maturing in the NFL. Now, if you're lucky enough to go through high school and win all the games, and go through college and win all the games, and get in with the with the New England Patriots and win twelve, thirteen games every year. You're truly blessed. But generally speaking, that does not happen. And so what happened? There's going to be a point in time in your career where you're going to hit a, a bump. How many Hall of Famers do we hear get up and talk about, hey, this game will humble you? Oh, you know, and, this, and these are guys that are in the Hall of Fame. And they say that kind of stuff. Baker has not been humbled. And it's probably going to get another coach fired because Freddie Kitchens will be out after this year. So on January 8th, he'll have his fourth coach in two years in the NFL. Think about that. The other bit of drama is coming out of New York, where Jamal Adams, it came out that, you know, there were talks about trading Jamal Adams. And Jamal Adams tweeted out yesterday, after the deadline passed, he stayed with the Jets. At the end of the week, last week, I sat down with the GM and Coach Gase, and I told them I wanted to be here in New York. I was told yesterday by my agent that the GM then went behind my back and shot me around to other teams, even after I asked him to keep me here. Crazy business. Now, let's just say for something. Just because you tell them that you want to stay there doesn't mean that they want to keep you there. Like, I could go to my bosses today and say, you know what? I'd like to be paid uh, $5 million this year. Well, they're not going to pay me $5 million. So just because Jamal Adams sits down and tells the GM I want to stay here doesn't mean the GM wants Jamal to stay here. Now, the GM came out and said, that's not true. We weren't shopping him. People called us. Well, Jamal Adams did not like that, still does not take kind to that, held a press conference today, and at his press conference, I guess let us know where he sees himself. Well, you know, man, you know, I woke up Monday morning, and, um, you know, I kind of found out through uh, a couple of reliable people that I have a lot of trust in that I was being, you know, shopped around. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I know he has a job to do, and I respect it. Um, but, you know, I, I hold myself in a high regard. Um, I've done everything, you know, they've asked me to do since I've been here for, for the three years. Um, you know, 
I, 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 I didn't take that lightly. I, I, I really didn't. Um, but you know, when, when I when I heard that I got the call, that my agent called me and he told me what was going on, um, you know, I, it definitely hurt me. You know what I mean? Um, I hold myself at a high level. You know, the Rams don't they don't they don't take calls on Aaron Donald. The Patriots don't take calls on Tom Brady. You know what I mean? That's where I hold myself in that regard. So, regardless of I understand that you have a job to do. That's that's the way I took it. Jamal Adams compares himself to Aaron Donald and Tom Brady. Yeah, a box safety. This is another kid that's that's all out of whack, and he doesn't. I mean, he doesn't understand the business. I mean, when you're when you're a GM, if you've got good players, you take calls on those good players every single year, until it gets to a point where people in the league say. Oh, he's untradeable. You know, they're not gonna they're not gonna let go of him. And then it'll stop. But until it gets to that point, if you're a good player, they're gonna call on you. And that's what he's going through. Well his point is that they don't call on Tom Brady and they don't call on Aaron Donald because he's at that level and he yeah. thinks he's at that level no. and he's not. No, he's not. He he's a box safety. That would be like Brett Kern. Like if someone called the Titans and offer two first-round picks for Brett Kern. The Titans would do that with no hesitation. In fact, honestly, they may trade Kern for a second-round pick. Like, if someone offered you a second-round pick for a like pass rusher that you could get, or a tackle, or a, something like that for Brett Kern, the Titans might take it. Because Brett Kern is a punter. Now, he's the best punter in the league, but he is a punter. It's just not valuable like Tom Brady at quarterback. He's a box safety I don't care how many Pro Bowls you get named to. I don't care. You're a box safety. You're not Ed Reed. And that, I think, is a hard time that fans and players sometimes have a hard time understanding that you're a mini linebacker. You're not a high-end, change-the-game, intercept seven balls a year like Kevin Byer kind of player. And, and what he does some things that are really, really good but aren't necessarily special. You know, he's a good blitzer. He's a good tackler. He's a tough guy. He can, you know, do all those kinds of things. But he's not a great space player. And and if you're in, in today's football, you want space players. You want guys that can, that can really do it both. But if you have to make a choice, you would rather take a, a safety that is not necessarily a box safety that could play in space and he could play in the middle, or he could play on either side, and and uh, let him play the ball for you. That's where you're going to make your money. I mean, I, you know, you get a big safety or a small linebacker, and the two positions you're seeing all these people this year. Great example. You look at it, Pittsburgh and who was I think Tampa. Mm-hmm. They drafted 215, 220 20 pound linebackers. Well, that's probably what this kid weighs, Adams. You know, so. You know, you're you, two thirteen. You, there you go. So you're drafting the same, the same person. You know, the same position, I should say, different person, but same position. But you get the same thing out of them, but, and that's an important position. Don't get me wrong, but but not an important position when you talk about safety. By the way, Jamal Adams, in his career, has five and a half sacks, four forced fumbles, two interceptions. I'm going to guess Logan Ryan has those same stats right now this year. Now, I know he's a corner and not a safety, but Logan Ryan is a harder commodity, in my opinion, to find 
than Jamal Adams. Oh, yeah. He's a corner. Yeah, And to, to Mr. I compare myself to Tom Brady, here are the highlights for Jamal Adams. One Pro Bowl appearance, second team All-Pro, and he was named to the All-Rookie team. That those are you're comparing yourself to guys who won six Super Bowls, <laughs> and the best you I can say about yeah, you is two times second the, team All Pro, two times defensive MVP. Yeah, you know, get out of here. Give me a break. Six one five seven three seven one zero two five is the phone number. Six one five seven three seven one zero two five. Coming up next, do the Titans have an excuse this year if they don't make the playoffs? We'll discuss Jared and the GM live at Boomba's. Craft Pizza and Tap House out here in East Nashville, Smashville Live tonight. It's Jared and the GM on ESPN 1025 The Game.